Hi, I'm Dr. Paula Redmond, a clinical psychologist, and you're listening to the When Work Hurts podcast. On this show, I want to explore the stories behind the statistics of the mental health crisis facing healthcare professionals today, and to provide hope for a way out through compassion, connection, and creativity. Join me as I talk to inspiring clinicians and thought leaders in healthcare about their unique insights and learn how we can support ourselves and each other when work hurts. This week, I'm speaking with Emily Moorhouse, who is a public health nurse. She worked in A&E at the start of the pandemic and talks very openly about the impact this had on her mental health and how she decided to take time off to recover and later made a career change. I started off by asking her what the pandemic was like for her. Gosh, it's it's just been a whirlwind and it's a bit of a it's all a bit of a blur really. Um so I qualified 2018. Obviously the pandemic hit 2020 and from then on, I mean at the start of the pandemic, I have to say I was quite naive to it and I felt almost I had just a rush of adrenaline constantly. So I worked in A&E at the time. I worked in A&E from six months post-qualifying. So once I'd qualified, I worked on the ward, uh, a medical ward, and then decided quite quickly that I wanted to work in A&E. I'd always wanted to do that. It was always my dream. Um, so I moved to A&E six months post-qualifying and worked there for until a couple of months ago um so during the pandemic I was working on the front line basically in A&E and like I said at first I felt really naive to it I felt almost a sense of this is going to be fine we're going to get through this like a really positive feeling inside of me like everything was going to be okay um that soon faded (laughs) unfortunately um I think as time went on the burnout was setting in the mental and emotional state of it that the impact it was having on me was setting in what did you notice what kind of things were you aware of I was constantly tired fatigued um physically and mentally I'd find I'd go into work and I'd give my all I'd give everything I had and I'd come home and I'd have nothing left to give anybody else so my family I wouldn't I didn't feel like I had any time to, or emotional space in my head to give them anything, even to hold a conversation I felt was really hard. Um, and the anxiety that built up inside of me from the things that I'd witnessed was just so immense and intense for me uh, that I really struggled to sort of open up about anything. When you look back at that period now, what what do you remember as being really difficult about some of the things that you were experiencing and witnessing? There were so many different factors involved. I think the government rules that were put in place for everybody to keep everybody safe and seeing people not adhering to those rules, and obviously now it's come out that the government themselves were adhering to those rules, just made, at the time, I felt a lot of anger 
towards people that weren't listening because I was going to work every day putting myself at risk and looking after people that were so so poorly with this virus and people were just not listening and I I'd drive home and I'd see people in groups and I would I would just cry or I'd, I'd literally grab my wheel and just I felt like screaming I was that angry and I think that was a big thing for me was anger and not knowing what to do with it because it at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do about anyone else's actions, but... So feeling kind of helpless. Really helpless, yeah. Yeah. In lots of different yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. So stuff that was happening outside of work. Yeah. And what about some of the things that were happening in work? What was that like? Um, It was difficult. So during the, at the start of the pandemic, it was very different to how it, it gradually unfolded. So we had the first wave, then we had a second wave, then we had a third wave. And the more waves we had, obviously, it was just a ripple effect. And it just felt like it just got worse and worse and worse. And the people we were seeing were becoming poorlier and poorlier. And we were struggling to keep up with the demand of how many COVID patients we were getting through the doors. So being an A&E nurse, you are the first people there to see these people that were being brought in by ambulance or were brought in by relatives and they're on their own and that was really difficult and obviously we had a lot of elderly patients that were coming in with COVID and they were obviously asking if they were going to see their family members again and you didn't you couldn't give them an answer um all you could do was be there to support them emotionally and physically which is what we did um but that in itself takes a lot of your energy and a lot of your emotional energy. It just sort of sucks it all up till you've got not much left. I guess there's something about the volume of patients being, you know, much more than normal. And what you said about people being on their own, that was different to pre pandemic what impact did that have for, for, for you and patients people being on the road so during the beginning of the pandemic we saw less of everything else and loads and loads and loads of covid cases at the start during the middle we saw a bit of everything and that's when it got hard for us so the first part of the pandemic, we found actually, I don't know about, I can't speak for everyone else, but speaking for myself, I found that part a lot easier at the beginning. And then we got to the middle and it suddenly got harder because we had pressures from both sides then. We had a waiting room full of people that weren't COVID, but we also had a waiting room full of people that were COVID as well. I think the people that were coming in with COVID obviously required a lot more attention for different things so they'd be put on BiPAP machines some of them would have to be intubated so it would take a lot more people to deal with that so at the beginning of a shift we'd be allocated where we'd be working and we had our COVID zone in A&E and it was called Purple Zone if I ever saw that I was allocated in there my heart would sink every time and it'd be often but every time my heart would sink because I just think right I've got to be in there for so many hours in full PPE, I can't come out, I can't have a drink of water. Um, and it's almost that sense of you were sort of trapped in there with all these COVID patients thinking, am I gonna come out of here and am I gonna get this virus that I've just 
like spent all day looking after people who have been really really poorly from it so it was scary and at that point there was no vaccine so there was none of that and I can't imagine what it must have been like to I struggle you know wearing a mask in shops just I wear glasses so you know it, it it's um can be tricky and annoying sometimes I, what, what was that like working in in full PPE? I really struggled with it to be quite honest um I, that's probably the wrong thing to say actually because I didn't struggle and I just got on with it um I didn't have a choice so I didn't really think oh I don't want to wear this PPE today it's really annoying me I didn't think that all I all I thought was it, it's protecting me I have to wear it um so that's the only sort of thing that was going through my mind I did I struggled in the sense of it was claustrophobic it was really hot um and it made you feel faint. It was that hot sometimes because you'd have a full gown on as well. And they weren't thin gowns. They were really thick. Um, a, a big mask on, which I had to obviously pull quite tight to my face. Um, and your visor. And sometimes I'd wear a cap as well if I didn't have to wash my hair every day. Um, so, and it's more, it was more the physical effects on your face afterwards, like, don't mean to sound um what's the word I don't know I don't know the word but I'd come out and my eye bags have never been the same since like I feel like I've literally got the indent of the masks on my face um but yeah I'd I'd come out of a a shift in the purple zone in the covid area and my face would just physically hurt it would be bruised my nose would be the ridge of my nose and sort of down under my cheeks would just be painful for days and days after. So it was the physical effects as well. And you mentioned that sense of claustrophobia. I can imagine that. And not being able to take a drink or... No, because we went through a stage where there was no drinks allowed in the COVID era, which was completely understandable. But at the same time, that we have human rights and... Yeah, human needs, human I guess, needs, as yeah. well. Basic <laughs> needs. We needed to look after ourselves, but the only way to do that was to take everything off and to go out. And then at that point, it was just so busy. None of us put ourselves first, which you don't as a nurse. You put other people first, and it's just what we had to do. Um, but yeah, you'd often go home with a headache from not drinking enough. You also mentioned the fear of catching covid yeah. And for me, I, I, I am really struggling with health anxiety at the minute. And I've had, I've probably had it since pre-pandemics. And I'm pretty sure it's started from working in A&E and witnessing a lot of trauma and seeing so much death and traumatic things happen to people. Um, so when the pandemic hit, I wasn't at my peak of it then. It was just sort of manifesting away. And since the pandemic, it has just been horrendous. So the vaccine was a big thing for me, actually. With health anxiety and a brand new vaccine, it just didn't go very well for me. I was petrified. I've had both my jabs, but it took a lot. It took a real lot. And it was almost, I had to weigh up in my own head and just rationalise that I had seen all these people really, really poorly with this horrible virus. And I'd also seen people die from this virus. So in my head, 
it was a no-brainer. I, I was going to get the vaccine. But even still, it is a new vaccine and it scared me. But COVID scared me more. And it sounds as if having had the vaccines and being where we are now, that that health anxiety is still around yeah. for you. Yeah. That that's, yeah, yeah. So that's had a kind of lasting impact. It has, yeah. Yeah. I'm also wondering what your thoughts are on, on your particular experience as a nurse in any given um, the nursing role and how that might have been different from your other colleagues? I think as a team in Amy, I don't feel like we ever separate ourselves in terms of, right, you're the nursing team, you're the team of doctors, you're the team of healthcare assistants. In a you work together. Without one of us, it wouldn't work. Without nurses, it wouldn't work. Without doctors, it wouldn't work. So we all we all just sort of got on and worked together. And that's always the case in a and I find. And that's the one thing I love about it because um, you do you work together as a team and you support each other as a team as well whenever we had something bad happen you'd pull together and you'd pick each other up yeah and that's something I've heard quite a lot that the importance of the team and how that's really been so key in getting people through some of these really tough times and looking back now if we think about 2020 that first year and the toll that that this work was taking on you. Can you tell me a little bit about how that was for you? And because um, I know you decided to take a break at some point. Um, yes. What led to that decision? So that was, um, gosh, that was a really big step for me. So I had just finished a set of four nights. And I'd got home, got into bed, felt okay. I'd had a particularly hard shift. Um, Every shift was hard, uh, but I can't remember the reasons why, but I remember it being a particularly really hard shift and coming home and just, I'm feeling stressed, but feeling okay. just felt like I normally do after a a shift in A&E. Got in the shower, got into bed and my heart was just racing. It was thumping out of my chest. I felt really anxious. I was shaking and I was just going into a full-blown panic attack, which I knew I was because I've suffered with them before and throughout the pandemic I'd suffered with them. And at that point, I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep putting everybody else before myself when I'm not well. Like, I didn't feel mentally well. I felt like I was just running off adrenaline that was slowly running out. And... It was burnout. I was just completely burnt out. I'd, I'd had enough. I just thought I can't I can't witness anything else bad because it will just, I felt like it was just about to push me over the edge. So there was something there about exhaustion you mentioned before, being exhausted, but also the, the trauma of what you were seeing every day at work that was building and building to that point. It was, it was a combination of trauma and exhaustion and burnout and just yeah just mental exhaustion I was just gone um so and I remember just being sat in the bath like trying to calm myself down and thinking I can't do this this isn't this isn't fair on me I need to I need to be well to look after my patients I didn't feel like I was well enough to to look after my patients anymore because I felt like I'm not looking after myself and I wasn't so I remember 
I remember just ringing work and saying, look, I just need, I need some time off. I need a, just a week off just to get myself together. Um, well, it started as a week and it just gradually, my anxiety just got worse. I guess a lot of people struggle with taking time off when they are unwell, particularly health professionals. How did you kind of give yourself permission to make that call and and say, I've kind of reached a limit now, this is, I need some time? I think I've always been quite in tune with my emotions and my feelings and knowing what's right for me. Um, I know not to push myself over a certain limit, especially now, after the pandemic. Um, and that's, that's what I did. And I knew I'd push myself that bit too far. And I knew I needed to take a step back. And I've always been really passionate and really, yeah, just really passionate about advocating for mental health, especially in nurses and doctors, because I feel like we're made to feel like we should be resilient. We should be able to put these things to the back of our mind and forget about them, especially the trauma we've witnessed. I think it's just so expected of us to deal with it and to move on, where in reality that is not the case. It would be fantastic because it would mean that we wouldn't get to this burnout stage, but that is not the reality of it for many people. Some people can, and I've worked with some nurses and some doctors that can just do that, but for me personally, I can't, and I know for a lot of nurses and doctors, they can't as well, and I think it's important to recognise that. So you decided you kind of had a thought that you'd take a week off. Yeah. Then what was that week like? Awful. (laughs) Absolutely awful. It's probably the worst thing I could have ever done, (laughs) and I'm not going to lie about this. Um, At the time, it felt awful, and it felt like the worst thing I could have ever done, but actually it was it was a good thing for me to take time away because actually when I removed myself from that situation I realized just how bad I was and how much I was masking by being at work it was very normal for me to go to work and to act like I was okay I got used to doing that but when I took myself out of that situation and I didn't have that to to mask me I actually could see how much damage it had actually caused to my mental health what was showing up for you every anxiety symptom you could think of I had (laughs) it was I can laugh about it now because I've been through it and I can see how far I've come from that but at the time I was petrified I thought I was going crazy I had severe depersonalization derealization I felt like I wasn't myself I felt like I was an alien I felt like I didn't belong here um I couldn't eat I lost probably a stone and a half in weight which I didn't really have to lose anyway um working through the pandemic I I wasn't overweight or anything so I didn't really have it to lose and I just sort of felt like I felt like I was wasting away and I, it was such a awful feeling because I just felt like I had no purpose anymore because I'd and I wasn't at work and I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I just felt like I didn't belong anywhere. So it sounds like taking that pause, as you said, um, made room for some of this stuff that you'd been holding back. And it was maybe a bit like the floodgates open and it it all kind of came to the surface. And that was sounds really scary. It was. <laughs> and it was exactly that. It was like my cup was so full 
and I was pushing it down and pushing it down and then when I'd stop pushing it down it just all came out and exploded. And it sounds like you then needed a bit more time off that a week wasn't enough. <laughs> no I soon I soon realised my it was my GP that I phoned um, I had to phone after a week to get a sick note because you can self-certify for a week and then you need a GP letter. So I spoke to my GP and immediately she wanted to put me on uh, some medication to help with my anxiety. Um, at the time I said yeah because I was so desperate. I was like yeah just prescribe me anything. I just need to feel okay again. Um, the next day I thought no I'm not I don't want to take medication for to mask it anymore. I just felt like I needed to work. I needed to work through the trauma that had built up and built up. I felt like medication wasn't the answer for me at that time. I'm not disregarding anybody that takes medication for anxiety or depression. I think it's a, a really good thing that we have it there when we need it. But for me, it was about processing the trauma and the emotion. And how did you do that? A lot of hard work. So I was off for three months in total. Every morning I woke up at seven o'clock. I went out for a run. I didn't want to at all. It was the last thing I wanted to do, but I knew it was going to help me. And when did you start that? Like, was that week one, week two? Week two, I think I started that. So every morning I'd wake up and go for my run I'd do my breathing uh, so I'd I'd breathe in really deeply and fling my arms up and then breathe out and fling my arms down every morning when I got out of bed then I'd go for my run um, and then I'd meet my friend um, every day for a walk so we'd go for probably five six mile walks a day and that and even even doing that I wasn't present at all my mind was not there. I was in complete depersonalization, derealization mode. I just felt like I wasn't there, but I was pushing and pushing and pushing past it. I also received counseling from a fantastic charity, Frontline 19, um, who provide free counseling for frontline workers and still do. They're doing absolutely amazing and I couldn't thank them enough. Um, so I got free counselling every week for 10 weeks from Frontline 19, which helped me massively. And those things that you mentioned, the running, the breathing um, and counselling, were those things that you had in place before? Like, had you done the running and the breathing? Had you had counselling before or were those new things? I'd had counselling before. I've had counselling um, often. Um not during the pandemic though I didn't it was sort of pre-pandemic that I had counselling running no I hate running (laughs) I hate it I'm not gonna lie I prefer to walk places I don't like running at all it just doesn't do anything like I don't feel joy when I run um but I know that by running I can release some of that stress um, I can release some of the anger that I've been built up and it, it really did. It really helped. Um, so I, I definitely advise to run if you're feeling stressed and you're feeling overwhelmed, um, even if you don't like it like me. Like it's not something that I think, yeah, I want to go for a run. I, I really don't, but I'll do it if it makes me feel better. So 
you kind of got into a routine of of running, breathing, walking with your friend and having some counselling support. And so how did that evolve? Again, I really had to push myself. I didn't want to do any of it. I didn't I didn't want to sit there and talk about all these bad things that were making me feel the way I was feeling. I didn't want to have to relive it all the time. Um, and it's almost a form of PTSD. Like, like I'd wake up in the night having nightmares about what had happened. And, and I'd, if I'd see something like a car crash or something, if you're going on the motorway or on the bypass, it, it, even now I, I'm, I get that feeling inside of me that, that really scared like a scared little girl that's what I feel like and I feel like oh my gosh I just want to run away from this so I really had to push myself to want to talk about it and to process it and the breathing sort of came from an app called Headspace that I downloaded during the pandemic again which really helped me so I could just switch that on when I felt anxious Um, and I try and do it daily again was a really hard thing because Every time I put it on, it it reminded me of of the way I feel, which I didn't remind of. I was just so desperately trying to get rid of this anxiety and this depersonalization that I'd just do anything to avoid it, which I soon learned wasn't the right way to deal with it. But you have to live and learn. Tell me about that. What, what were you learning? I just found the more I avoided things, the worse things got. I'm going to use my health anxiety as an explanation for this because I did avoid a lot with that as well. So I started avoiding eating any chocolate because I thought it would give me a migraine, which it can if you eat too much. But I just totally cut it out and said, no, I'm not even having a drop of chocolate. But then if it wasn't chocolate, it was something else. And if it wasn't that, it was something else. And it gradually got to a, a stage where I was avoiding so many things. Like I wasn't doing anything. And slowly, I started to not avoid those things. And now I try not to avoid anything. (laughs) So I try to just, anything that scares me, I I want to do it and I want to overcome it. So something as simple as near where I live, we've got some stepping stones that go across a river. I went there probably when I was at the height of my anxiety state and thought, I'm not going on there. It's going to make me feel really uneasy. Because it even says on the sign, it may make me feel uneasy, disorientated because of the water running so fast. Um, so in the height of my anxiety, I wouldn't go across them because I didn't want to feel that way. I went two weeks ago and I just walked straight across. I thought, do you know what? <laughs> I'm going to do it. Because I read this sign, I thought, uneasy, disorientated, anxiety makes me feel like that. I deal with that every day. I'm just going to do it. And I did it and I felt fine. Um, so it's about, for me, it's about overcoming those challenges and those things that make me feel anxious now that's so important isn't it and I I think what you described there about how avoidance can um, keep us tied up give us fewer options than more options because as you said it kind of um, can extend itself and, and we can get more tied up but it sounds like through some of these processes, you were able to find ways of opening up to your experience. And although that's really uncomfortable and really painful at times, that actually, in a sense, gave you more freedom. Yeah, it did. And it still does to this day. Like, I'm going away on Friday down to Cornwall on my own, which is a huge step for me. So I'm just pushing, really pushing myself out of my comfort zone. 
And you mentioned specifically about that that sense of derealization, the kind of dissociation sort of experiences that you had. Tell me about that. Tell me about how you managed to respond differently to those experiences. I know this was a big thing when I've spoke about it previously. For anyone experiencing derealization or depersonalization, it's where you feel like you are. And for those who haven't experienced it, it's really, really hard to understand. Um, So it's when you almost feel like you are not yourself, you're looking in the mirror and it's not you that's there, or you feel like you're an alien, you feel like your surroundings aren't real. It's a really lonely, isolating feeling. And I was so scared of it. I was really scared of this feeling and I was thinking, am I ever going to feel normal again? That's all I could think all the time. I just want this to go because I want to feel normal again. And as soon as I stopped pushing that feeling away and accepted it and accepted it was there to look after me and to protect me, it slowly faded away. Don't get me wrong, it comes back now and again to say hello. (laughs) And I tell it hi and it buggers off again. (laughs) So, yeah, I think... I think that feeling, I've never felt anything like that before and it was petrifying and that was the only point in my life I've ever felt like I was going crazy. I truly thought I was going crazy and I thought I'm never going to feel right again, I'm never going to be able to enjoy life again. Any memories, any really happy memories that I was trying to think of just didn't feel real, they didn't feel like mine, it was just awful. So it sounds like part of what you learned through the process of counselling and all the other work that you were doing, that um, maybe rather than kind of trying to fight with this experience of depersonalisation, that kind of opening up to it. Um, and you, you it sounds like you were viewing it in a different way, that it was kind of um, an experience that was telling you something important. I really did feel like that in the end. I felt like... It was my mind's way of protecting me. That's the way I saw it in the end. So because of everything I'd witnessed, I felt like it was my mind's way of shutting it off and saying, let's just escape from that reality for a minute. Let's push you away from that. And I really, truly feel like that's probably what, why you feel depersonalization or derealization because it is your mind's way of protecting you. And the more I accepted that in and said, it's okay, that's fine, you if you need to stay, I physically spoke to my depersonalization, derealization. As crazy as that sounds, it helped. And I, I, I said, like, it's okay if you want to stay, if you want to help protect me for now, that's fine. If you feel like I need that. And slowly, but surely, I mean, it felt like an eternity, but it soon faded. That's so helpful, isn't it, to hear how kind of reframing that experience enabled you to recover and and feel more connected to yourself and your own defense mechanisms that were there to protect you rather than a sign of something being wrong with you it's actually you know a healthy thing to kick in when what you're experiencing is too much for anybody and I wish someone had told me that at the beginning which is why I wanted to say it now because I've never felt that feeling before ever um and 
actually a couple months later and she won't mind me saying this my friend who also worked in A&E with me at the time she had the same feelings the same depersonalization derealization and she knew I'd been through it so she turned to me and actually said like Em what is this feeling like why am I feeling like this and it was nice to be able to offer her that support and to say look it's all right because I didn't have anybody to to say that to me so it was nice to be able to offer her that and to say, look, you're going to be okay. I know it's horrible. I completely sympathise with how you are feeling. I understand it completely, which is hard to say if you've never been through it. So being able to normalise that and seeing that as a normal response to an abnormal situation. So you took this time off and when did you start to feel like you were coming through the other side of that? I never got that feeling of being ready to go back to work. Um, I remember having a conversation with my mum and saying, I'm not ready, I can't go back. And I remember her saying to me, you can, Em, you, you can do this. And she was so supportive and so good with me. My mum's actually a counsellor as well, which is really helpful and was really helpful throughout it. I could not have got through it without her. Um so she was really my number one supporter throughout this and the one that told me I do have the strength to do this and she she was the one that actually said you can't avoid it forever um which is what I felt like I was doing I felt like I was getting sick note after sick note because I just felt I'm not ready I'm not ready and I was off for three months which in the grand scheme of things isn't that long but it was long enough for me and I just felt I just did it. I just sort of said, right, I'm going to go back. Um, originally, I didn't want to go back to a &E. I wanted to be transferred elsewhere. did look at that. It didn't work out for one reason or another. I wanted to go back onto a ward and it just, it wasn't, we weren't able to facilitate it basically. So when I got the call a week before saying that that wasn't going to happen, I was even more petrified because I was like right I'm really gonna have to go back to Haney now and it was scary I was so scared going back to the place that I felt had broken me I felt broken but I did it I went back and I was back for gosh probably about four or five months before I moved but going back they were really supportive Going back, I had an interview with Occupational Health before I went back to work, who offered me phase return, so I went back gradually. I wasn't just thrown back into a 12-hour shift, which was good. Um, and the way I see it, if you had a broken leg, you'd be allowed to be off work for a certain amount of time, and you would come back gradually to see if that you were physically ready. So it shouldn't be any different with your mental health, which is why I'm so passionate about it and why I feel like people should be able to take that time if they need it. They should be able to put themselves first. And I just really hope, I really hope that anyone listening to this will do that. A lot of people, when I have this conversation with health professionals, ha have a sense that, that doing that, that putting themselves first or you know taking care of their own physical or mental health is the same thing as being selfish um and you know feel guilty about letting colleagues down what, what what do you say 
I completely get that 100%. Just because I took the time off doesn't mean I didn't feel guilty. I felt guilty every single day and that contributed to my state of mind as well. And that was the only thing holding me back from taking time off. I didn't want to let my colleagues down. Somebody has to be there. And I knew that by me going was going to make almost the situation worse because there'd be one nurse less. But at the same time, what what use am I when I am not well? Like, if I was to have a broken leg, what use would I be there? I wouldn't be any use. So I think it's really important to remember we're humans. We're We're not robots. We can't just keep going and going and going. And again, another one of my colleagues used to be in the army and she said, you only go to war for eight months at a time. Well, we were way past eight months. <laughs> we were totally burnt out. We had witnessed far too much trauma and we were still going. They still are going. That adrenaline only lasts for so long. It runs out. So do you think looking back that if, if you were just thinking about your own health, you might have taken a break sooner? Definitely, definitely. I mean, saying that, I say definitely, but I wasn't just thinking about my colleagues. I wasn't thinking about the guilt. I was thinking about everything else. I was thinking, gosh, like the the UK, the my hospital needs me there. I can't, it's my duty. It's my role to be there. Um, it's a huge weight of responsibility yeah. that you were carrying. And I think yeah. every doctor, nurse, healthcare assistant, paramedic, even down, even like the cleaners, I think even they felt a sense of responsibility. Like they, like we all just, we just did it. There was just no thinking about it. You just did it. So you went back to work after that break and you said that um, everyone was really supportive and you were able to do a phased return what was it like on an emotional level going back into that setting? It was it was really hard. It was really hard. But at that point, we were sort of trying to get back to normal. I say with my speech marks, normal, whatever normal is. So it wasn't, it was very different. We st- but the pressure was still there. The understaffing was still there. The volume of patients we were getting through were very, very large volumes of people coming through the doors and ill people. And it was, I'm just trying to put it into words. It's really hard looking back and, and trying to sort of put it into words, but I'm just wondering because I guess I I know that uh, for many people going back to work after a break is really nerve-wracking the sense of you know sometimes people are worried about what other people will think of them or um you know have I forgotten what to do or um you know will I be able to cope yeah I was scared I was petrified and I was thinking oh my gosh people are gonna think like I'm such a wimp I'm so I'm a rubbish nurse. Um, Actually, it was the opposite of that. Nobody thought that at all. That was just my mind making up these scenarios. Um, Being a nurse, it's like riding a bike. Once you've done it, once you get back on that bike, you just remember how to do it. So I didn't feel worried in the sense of I'd forgotten how to 
to do my job because I was, I'm really confident in what I do and I've worked hard to get where I am so in that sense yeah but it, it like we were saying before it was more the guilt side it was more I felt like I'd let my team down but actually when I got back it was more actually everyone around me I felt like everyone around me was crumbling and it was really sad I could almost like well up now thinking about how sad it felt um but it was like everywhere you looked like you'd smile at someone and you did there was just nothing like it's almost like everyone's eyes were just glazed that's the only way I can describe it and it just felt like everyone was just exhausted everyone was getting aggy with each other and it just wasn't the atmosphere it used to be pre-pandemic at all and I wonder if you having had that time out enabled you to see that in a way that when you're in it you can't see it you can't you can't and I couldn't see it myself until I got home I was in bed and I was full-blown panic attack and it wasn't until I made that decision that night well that morning um to take some time off if I hadn't done that I would not have realized to the extent that it had really broken me and it's interesting I'm just thinking about how that also limits our capacity to see it in other people and that when you'd had that time out and and being able to recover a bit yourself you were then able to recognize other people's suffering yeah more too and, and maybe be able to respond yeah. to your colleagues in a way that maybe isn't possible when you're so in it yourself no no definitely not and even sort of three four months back into my back into the job after having time out I could feel that burnout setting in again and I thought gosh I've just had three months off like how is this possible like why am I feeling like this I just felt so overwhelmed by everything by the pressure that's just constantly on you and I remember just going into the the medicines room and just crying and my colleague walked in took one look at me and hugged me and I was just burst into tears and I, I just thought I can't I don't know I said I remember saying to her I can't do this anymore which is when I made the decision to look for another job. So what did you decide to do next? I was staying put. I thought I'm not moving anywhere until I've found something that I really want to do. But I'm not moving anywhere that's going to, I'm going to feel the same feelings and I don't, I don't want that. And I wanted something that I was passionate about and that I really wanted to progress in. It was really hard for me doing that and taking that step. And even till this day, I feel a sense of, guilt I feel like I've let myself down I feel like I've let my team down almost not every day but sometimes thinking about it and reflecting it's really hard just because it was my dream job it was everything I, I wanted of my career I wanted to be an a nurse and I loved I loved my role for the four years I was in it well maybe three <laughs> we'll take that last year out because I didn't love that but I, I, I absolutely loved it and I thrived on it and I loved the adrenaline it gave me. I loved looking after people in those most awful situations. I, I just really loved my job. So to give that up because of how it's affected your mental health is really, really hard. Such a big loss. It's a huge loss, yeah. And 
I mean, even throughout my student nursing years, uh, that's all I could think of. I was just thinking, I want to work in A&E. And when I, I actually got a placement in LGI A&E when I was a student and I was so happy um, and I loved it. I loved just everything about it. And then for now, for it to be gone, it is it was really hard to, to say goodbye to it. So what did you decide to do? So I I was actively looking for a new job sort of four months back and I came across a post for specialist public health nurse and I thought oh that sounds interesting I heard of this before and I just decided to go for it because I loved everything that the job description said I thought yeah I can really see myself doing that I can see myself progressing in that role and it's nine to five Monday to Friday I didn't know what that felt like (laughs) So for me, for my whole, I mean, I'm 25 now. So when I qualified, I was only 21. So for my whole working career, I've never known a nine to five job. I didn't even know that they existed. Um, I've, I've always worked 12 hour shifts, like random days, weekends, nights, twilights, twilights, oh my word. So my twilight shifts were 11 while mid, eleven in the morning while midnight, and I'd get them often. <laughs> so for to find a nine-to-five job that I, I felt really passionate and really wanted to do was incredible. Anyway, so yeah, I applied for that, and uh, luckily I got it, which is what I'm doing now. And how have you found that shift? It's been a roller coaster. It's been good, a good roller coaster. Again, I think pulling myself out of that traumatic and chaotic work life has been a big shift for me. Almost like I felt when I pulled myself out when I had time out of work. It was like, wow, like it's that processing things when that adrenaline's suddenly gone. It, it was hard, especially the first few months, because I just felt on edge a lot, especially at work. And my colleagues now would say, Emily, we're not in an emergency situation anymore. You don't have to, it's not an emergency. You can just relax a little bit because I always, I felt like something bad was going to happen all the time. And I'm like, well, don't we need to do this? We need to do that. I'm like, no, you, you just need to calm down. You need to just relax. And that, that's a hard adjustment for me um, because I'm used to like being on edge and being like ready for something bad to happen. So that part of it was hard. The other part is not being around a big team anymore. That's a big adjustment. I'm doing a lot of loan working now. So not having that big team around me has been quite difficult. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear you you say about how taking this other step back and and creating even more distance from that whole experience has maybe um, opened further, I guess, opportunities for processing what you've been through, but still quite hard and uncomfortable to, to go through that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But it's been a positive move that I've made and have you found because you were talking about that this work is also something that you find that you feel passionate about what is it about this role that you feel passionate about that you love that keeps you going I think there's just so many different factors to this job that I'm doing now I just think 
we deal a lot with maternal mental health, safeguarding children's development, looking after the whole family, looking after families. And I actually get to spend over an hour with a family at a time if I want to. I'm not limited to how long I get with each family. Whereas in A&E, I was very limited to my time. All my time was split between 30 different people. Um, so it's really nice to be able to put your time and effort into a family and to help them and to see changes as well, which is it's a really rewarding job. And when you think about the future for you in, in your career, I guess I'm struck by the fact that you really newly qualified, you know, 18 months or so in when the pandemic hit. Um, so it's really a kind of baptism by fire in terms of the start of your career. How do you feel about um, continuing to work as a nurse and, and going into the future? If you'd have asked me that question a year ago, I'd have said, I don't want to be a nurse anymore. I want to go and open a florist. That was my idea. Um, so, but now thinking rationally, I have put a lot into my career. I was told when I was at secondary school that I wasn't going to get any GCSEs. I was told I'd just fail maths, I'd fail English. I, I just wouldn't go anywhere, basically. Um, and I overcame so much to get into this job. And it's something I've always wanted to do ever since being younger. Um, I've always wanted to be a nurse and I think for me now to just throw that away would be a big shame for me as much as I want to sometimes and as he, it'd be so much easier I'd have such an easier life but I think I've put far too much into this now and I think I've still got so much more to give I feel like there's so many places nursing can take you and that is the beauty of nursing you're not stuck in one place just like in a and &E, I didn't have to stay there and I didn't stay there it was a stepping stone and I feel like there's lots of stepping stones on the way throughout your career which is how I'm looking at it now so I didn't start in a and &E, I started on a medical ward I, my next stepping stone was a and &E. my next stepping stone is the job I'm in now and who knows where the next stepping stone may be but I just think I'm just going with how I feel and what I'm passionate about, that's all I can do. It's lovely to hear you talk about your, you know, your career so far. And I think it's really helpful to think about things in chapters or seasons and not getting, you know, stuck in one way of working or one place or one, um, you know, kind of way of being when it's hurting us. And, and having a sense that there are there's room for movement and that change is you know never easy but there's hope for a way of, of doing something different that for you it sounds like um, you know a way of working that is still really aligned with your values but that allows you to look after yourself as well and, and maybe create time for the recovery that you need. So maybe, you know, your next step might be going into something more, um, you know, more adrenaline focused than your current role. Or maybe not. But giving yourself some, some time and space for recovery right now. And that's exactly how I see it as well. That's 
how I've pictured it in my head. When I took this new job, that's what I thought as well. I just thought it's it's a stepping stone and if eventually I decide I want to go back to any, I can do that. It's not there's nothing to say you have to go in this direction or you have to go in this direction. You can go in whatever direction you want. And I think you like you say, you've just got to do what's right for you at that time and at this moment in time this is what's right for me. And it's lovely that metaphor of stepping stones like you were talking about earlier in terms of how, you know, crossing that that stream where things, you know, the water's I didn't realize running I've done fast. That. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that sense of, of disorientation and, and, and danger and anxiety. But being able to just kind of think about, you know, taking just the next step that's right for you in the midst of of that rushing stream that is the chaos of life, that you're just focusing on the next step. So what would you say, Emily, to, um, you know, we hear so much about colleagues in the NHS who are really struggling with so much of, you know, similar things that you've described in terms of burnout and exhaustion and trauma, having absorbed so much. Um, What would you say to someone who is feeling some of those things that that you've been through? I would say don't be so hard on yourself. I know nurses and doctors and paramedics, healthcare's, we're painted... We're painted to be these really resilient superheroes that can just swoop in and save people's lives and then go home and forget about it. That's not the reality. The The reality is we have feelings, we have emotions, we have trauma that needs processing. And that's often put aside. It's pushed to one side far too much. And it is something I'm really trying to get across to people at the minute. We need to stop pushing our emotion and our trauma aside we need to bring it to the forefront and we need to deal with it sometimes and I think by reaching out and getting help maybe speaking to a counsellor or speaking to a colleague there's lots of services that we can reach out to that can help us Um, and not dealing with it on your own as well that because it's such a lonely place and such a lonely feeling I think please don't deal with it alone. Just reach out and get some help. Speak to a friend, speak to a colleague or a family member and just remember that you are important too. And Emily, what are the things that that keep you going now? What are the things that sustain you when work hurts? The main things that sustain me are Friends, the TV show. I have it on constantly. <laughs> <laughs> And I've been told it's an anxiety thing is that when you watch a TV show over and over again, so, but who cares? I have it on. It makes me feel happy. Um, just something lighthearted. I always have to have it on in the background because it, like I said, it makes me feel happy. It makes me laugh. Um, it's just something easy. The outdoors, being outdoors, walking. I don't tend to run often now, uh, but I do go for a brisk walk. Uh, with the dog so I'll go out for a walk be in the fresh air and I think being in the fresh air reminds you to breathe properly again because I do that when I'm inside I don't breathe properly I don't feel like I feel like I hold my breath a lot and that causes a lot of anxiety symptoms so being outdoors helps me to breathe properly 
And I think you're just meeting your basic needs. I think that's a big thing. And I think it's undervalued, especially as a nurse or a doctor, because you forget to eat, you forget to drink. And how can you do anything when you've not eaten or you've not had anything to drink? And sleep as well. I think just looking after those basic, basic needs are a huge factor in your mental health and physical health. Thank you, Emily, so much for sharing your experiences and and for your openness and your honesty. And it's lovely to hear about, you know, your sense of compassion for yourself and for other people and a kind of sense of, of energy and hope for the future. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please do share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. I'd love to connect with you, so do come and find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also sign up to my mailing list to keep up to date with future episodes and get useful psychology advice and tips straight to your inbox. All the links are in the show notes. Thanks again, and until next time, take good care.